Welcome back to this special episode of Your Political Playlist. I'm your host, Emily Tish sussman When we left off last summer, Biden had already introduced his American Jobs Plan as well as his American Families Plan. Now, Congress is in the final days of negotiation as Democrats try to pass both of the historic bills before the end of the month. For context, the American Families Plan has been drafted under the reconciliation process, which allows Senate Democrats to pass the bill without the filibuster, meaning they only need 51 votes to pass it instead of 60. Now, Democratic Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema have drawn a line, rejecting the reconciliation bill and its costs. At the same time, the Progressive Caucus is refusing to vote on the infrastructure bill until there's also a vote for the reconciliation bill. Now, with a new deadline of October 31st to pass them, the Democrats have under a month to come to consensus on both bills. I spoke with Senator Kirsten Gillibrand for Parents Magazine in between her votes and amidst negotiations. Her family bill of rights from her presidential campaign informed much of the policy that made its way into Biden's American Families Plan, from accessible child care, universal pre-K, paid leave and more, Her vision for necessary family supports is close to becoming a reality as the issues get negotiated in the reconciliation bill. Welcome, Senator Gillibrand. Senator, so good to see you. Great to see you. Very exciting. This year has been so crazy for parents. We don't know what our kids are getting into. We don't know how to manage school. How has it been for you jumping into this school year with such a huge job? Well, like most parents, the last year and a half has been very, very hard, largely because uh, our children weren't in school. They were learning remotely and online. So when Henry was, my 13-year-old was unable to go to school, it meant a parent had to stay home uh, most during the day to make sure he was fed (laughs) so he could have breakfast, lunch, and a snack. Um, But I saw in him on the days he wasn't allowed to go to school that he slowly became less secure. He slowly became more insecure about his looks and how he looked on camera. And so every lesson, the camera was like this and just showing an ear. (laughs) And that was like a 13-year-old's way of uh, dealing with the stress of having to be on camera. It's not an easy way of doing anything. And so uh, I saw that over the last year, but the great news is for most schools they are open this year and Henry's been in person full time. And it's been a great joy to see him uh, make friends, have fun, come back from a soccer game. Um, It's just, it's been great. So I think we now can appreciate how important those in-person community-oriented activities are. Uh, So I think moms have a new insight, not only into their children, but into why schools and teachers should be considered um, critical, uh, critical workforce, uh, critical institutions. They should have been first in line for testing and PPE and vaccines um, in the same way our nurses and doctors and EMTs are in the same way our pharmacists, pharmacists and grocery stores are schools are schools matter and kids being able to learn in person with other children, their age, I think is essential. I've definitely felt that way. I mean, my son started a new school this year and he had allergies like the week Mm. that he was starting school. And I was nervous that coughing the other kids were going to be, we're going to run away from him. 
and that he wasn't going to make any friends. I mean, I feel like it just underscores the importance of having moms, women, parents in positions of power to understand what people are going through. Do you feel like that's really penetrated in the Senate as you guys are looking at big legislation that could potentially move the country forward? Um, Not in the way that you would think, because most members of Congress are older, they're mostly male, they're mostly white male and affluent. And so their lens on what happened during COVID is really specific to them and their family. They didn't necessarily um, endure some of the shared experiences. Um, and most of them don't have young children. And so they didn't have to watch their kids sort of suffer through COVID. They also have so many resources that they were allowed to and able to protect themselves in a way that most, certainly most New Yorkers couldn't do. So I, I think there's a disconnect between them and reality. And so when I'm fighting for something as important as affordable daycare or national paid leave or universal pre-K, I don't know that it always sinks into all of them because they don't have the same shared experience. How do you have that conversation with them to get it? Um, well, so far, uh, we haven't had to um, convince anybody yet. So far, things like paid leave, affordable daycare, universal pre-K are in the space bill of Build Back Better, and they very much are part of the solution. Uh, if I do get an inkling that some of our colleagues are balking at that, um, I will be uh, laser focused on those individuals and make sure that they understand what it's like for working parents across this country and what it's like and how it's been for people who don't have nannies or babysitters or um, unlimited resources and what it's like to juggle maybe having young children, but also having aging parents and having to worry about a a parent who might be in a nursing home or an assisted living facility and what that isolation was like and how devastating that was for family members. And then if we had had paid leave, family members could have stayed at home. Um, Parents could have stayed at home to help their children and not have to lose their job or quit their job. These impacts would have been much uh, lesson. It, the impacts would have been lessened if we had social safety nets like paid leave or universal pre-K. Um, and if we looked at education and early childhood education as critical infrastructure uh, and as infrastructure, this family economic infrastructure that's necessary for the economy to move at all, I think uh, we'd, we would have more uh, support for these fundamental things that we would have had more support earlier than now. But so far, I'm optimistic that we don't have to sacrifice any of these ideas yet. I mean, I I can't imagine how, well, first of all, I nearly pity the senator that would try to cross you on this. So thank you for being in the parents' corner on this. These are not new issues for you. When you ran for president, you centered 10 years of advocacy on, there was an article about how paid leave was the center of your campaign, your presidential campaign. So- I mean, that must feel somewhat gratifying that you've been championing these issues for a long time as president to now see them really on the on the verge of becoming reality. We're hoping. Um, I very much thought families' challenges should be on the presidential stage. I thought it should be debated. That's why I created a family bill of rights. And every aspect of my family bill of rights was ultimately put into President Biden's family's agenda. Um, pay leave, affordable daycare, universal pre-K, addressing maternity 
maternal mortality, uh, addressing rural health care, addressing issues that hit families particularly hard. Uh, he subsumed and took them in and they were subsumed into his platform, which which was very, very gratifying. And so I can stand with President Biden and fight for these things now as his partner in the Senate. So I'm hopeful that over the next uh, few weeks, we can hopefully reach some consensus that the Build Back Better plan is going to have this in it. And I can get all 50 colleagues to say, yes, we are with you. We are going to vote yes. And I'm optimistic that we will get that done. It may take longer than we like, but I believe we will get there. So, Senator, how can we help you? So, I'm a New Yorker. I'm one of your constituents. You are my senator. So, I've been calling through. I've been calling, you know, I've worked in politics a long time. So, I know that, you know, calls can get through. But what can we do? So, my member of Congress is a New Yorker, um, has projected that he is not supportive of this. So, I've been calling his office and letting his staff know that I would like to see his support on pushing forward issues like paid leave and child care and home care. And they take the note and they say, thank you so much. And I ask you. Who's your congressman? Congressman Lee Zeldin is my member. Yeah, well, I'll speak to Lee about this because honestly, uh, if he aspires to be governor of our state, he's never going to be governor if he doesn't support family first policies. So um, maybe I can give him some information that he needs to know. (laughs) Well, I think that would be great. I've been trying to set up a meeting in the local constituent office and it goes straight to voicemail and the DC office Mm -hmm. says they can't help me. And they said their voicemail is full. So then I called your office and I spoke to your staffer at the front desk and I made the calls again today. So every time I call my congressman, I then call my senators too. So I call your office and then I call Senator Schumer. So I can tell you what everyone says. So Senator Schumer's goes right to voicemail. So I leave my voicemail every time, but I don't speak to a real person. When I call your office, I speak to a staffer. Nice. And we had a great conversation today. She could not have been more lovely. But when I asked her this question, she told me she couldn't speak on your behalf. So can, so can we pretend like I'm calling and you're picking up now? Sure. Yes, okay, go ahead. Okay, great. So doot, 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 doot. I'm calling, I'm calling. Okay. Hello, Senator Gillibrand's office. Oh, hi. Um, is the senator in? Hold on. Okay. Hi, this is Senator Gillibrand. Oh, Senator Gillibrand. I didn't know that I was going to get you. This is Emily from New York. Do you remember me? I you do. Held my, you held my baby. I totally remember you. Oh, definitely. I thought you would. Okay. So I really want to make sure that that family leave, paid leave gets into the reconciliation bill. And we want to know how we can help you. This is what I asked your staff. Okay. So the answer is, how do we help you? Putting on speaker. Uh, The answer is that um, you need to be heard. It's really important that people, families, parents, women elevate their voice in every way they can. So Calling into members of Congress's offices is great. Calling into radio shows is great. Letters to the editor, letters to Congress, um, any form of communication, creating a really funny meme and posting on Instagram, whatever you can come up with that articulates your view, that paid leave, affordable daycare, universal pre-K are essential and important to you, that helps. And to the extent you can um, use social media to tweet at people, you can tweet at someone who's not with you. So tweeting at Lee Zeldin say, Hey, Congressman, do you not understand? This is really important to me, your constituent, that helps too. So I would use all the platforms that are that are accessible to you and whatever voice you can uh, amplify, uh, I would do it because it's about changing opinions and it's about changing the minds of uh, Republicans and moderates across the country uh, to show how important this is. And the good news is our paid leave advocacy has been going for eight years. And as a result, people's minds have been changed. I think about 80% of America supports paid leave and over 50% of white Republican men support paid leave. So uh, 
we are we are winning and we do have the support of voters behind us. Uh, now it's important that members of Congress here and here understand um, what their voters are saying and what they want. I feel like you just gave permission to unleash the mom memes, which is like a very serious part of the internet. Totally. Do you think, <laughs> do you think there's particular messages that your colleagues in Congress need to hear from, from us? Just that it affects people in, in, in very different ways. Um, I think most people understand the need to be with a newborn child. Uh, I think that's something people get. But to the extent you have husbands or men that are parents that want to be heard on that issue, that's helpful because a lot of members of Congress, particularly male members of Congress, think it's just a woman's issue and they sometimes dismiss it for that reason. Make sure the dads who want to be heard are heard on this. Um, also, I would say uh, making sure they understand what leave is for when your parent's dying, what it's like to have a mother who's dying of cancer not being able to be by her bedside or the reverse of being able to be by, by her bedside and how not only are you more loyal to your employer for letting you do that, but you're, you're not going to be working under circumstances where you can't possibly concentrate. Um, that happened in my own office. I know exactly what it was like for that employee. Um, he needed to be with his mother before she passed. And because we had a paid leave policy, he was able to do that and spend a month with her before she passed and then spend a couple of weeks. It was necessary to deal with, um, getting her affairs in order. I mean, when your parent dies, it's not easy and it's not simple. And, there's no way you can concentrate at work if someone's going through that. So paid leave is for everybody, for all life events. And it's great to tell those stories so people can understand it better. Great. Senator Gillibrand, fighting for parents, fighting for families. Thank you so much. I'm Emily Tichessman, host of Moms Run the World for Parents Magazine. Great to talk to you, Senator. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Emily. Be well. I also spoke with Secretary of Energy Jennifer Granholm from Marie Claire Magazine. Secretary Granholm has been tapped by President Biden to help pass the American Jobs Plan, which includes investments in roads, bridges, broadband, and efforts to combat climate change. Welcome, Secretary. Secretary Granholm, so glad to have you here. Oh my gosh, what a hoot uh, to be on. Thanks so much for inviting me. Is this so exciting? So I was a big fan of yours as the governor of Michigan, continued to be a big fan as the Secretary of Energy, although... I'm going to be totally honest here. I don't 100% know what the secretary, like what is under your command, but so I know much. that you're here for so, so much, right? Much. <laughs> yeah, no, so we I know that one of your big things the, here. The Tell us about it. Department. Yeah, no, I mean, really, I mean, the Department of Energy, for example, just one example, we've got under this umbrella, 17 national labs, 100,000 people who are researching next generation solutions for our clean energy, our climate problem, finding the solutions to be able to deploy next generation solar cells that are so much more efficient or geothermal technology to pull up the heat from underneath the earth or next generation wind technology to make the blades that are longer than football fields. I mean, the stuff that we want to to put into the ground to ensure that we can reach the president's goal of getting to 100% clean electricity by 2035. Well, this makes so much sense. You are an excellent spokesperson for the president's plan. So it makes so much sense that you've been 
out there hitting the pavement, trying to get President Biden's Build Back Better plan, especially with all of the infrastructure and the human infrastructure pieces. So can you help us explain exactly you know, how you're doing this and why both pieces, like the hard infrastructure and the human infrastructure, are so important, how they work together? Yeah, I mean, so for your viewers, I'm sure a lot of them have been following this, but maybe for those who haven't, there are two components. One is like when you when you say hard infrastructure, we're talking about roads and bridges and the transmission grid that has the wires that bring electricity to your home, the broadband to make sure everybody has access to communication. That's the hard infrastructure. And then there is the human infrastructure, which means we want to make sure that young families have access to child care, that senior citizens can actually get hearing and dental help through Medicare, which of course is the social service program that helps them in their senior years. We want to make sure that we can give people access to, to college, for example. So there's both the hard and the human. I mean, both of them are human and both of them are necessary. So both of them are really, really important. So that's the Build Back Better agenda also. And let me just say one thing about it, because I know a lot of the people who are on this may care about, uh, especially young parents, for example, you know, extending the child tax credit. Some of the some of y'all have seen that in your bank account started uh, this past summer. It ends in December unless it's extended. And so part of the human infrastructure is to extend that. And that lifted 39 million households and 90 percent of the children. It, it, it cut child poverty in half. I mean, that's just huge for a very advanced industrial nation. Who are we if we are not combating child poverty? So bottom line, we got to get this stuff through. And, you know, for like for us, for this audience, you know, those of us here at, at Marie Claire, it's, I think it seems like child tax credit, something like paid leave are things that are really relevant in our lives. You know, I mean, either we had COVID, we had to quarantine our kids when they can't go to school. But I think also the, you know, the Medicaid piece for the older generation, I think it's not something that we talk about enough how much it impacts us because so many, so many of us are in the sandwich generation. So taking care of our kids, taking care of our parents. I mean, are you guys talking about these pieces together so that, you know, people in our generation can really hear it? Yeah, totally. I mean, we really see this as having three buckets. This one is on the climate. One, that's one bucket of policies. One bucket relates to families and making sure that living and you know, having a family is uh, is good, and one relates to this next generation, to children. In addition to that, so we we um, you know the cutting child poverty in half is huge. You know the investing in child care. So we're I mean, there's a New yeah. York Times story about this today. I'm sure you saw that it's ridiculous yeah. that we are the only advanced nation on the planet that doesn't help families with child care. I mean, anybody who is trying to, who has young children and puts them into childcare knows it is, you know, on average across the country, it's about, you know, 12, 13, $14,000 a year for childcare. And in some places it's a lot more than that, depending on where you live. So we give as a nation, we help out to the tune of $500, but this uh, human infrastructure bill will give families who need this help $14,000 a year, which is the average of advanced nations. I mean, if you lived in Norway, you'd be getting almost $30,000 a year for childcare because we want people to participate in the workforce. And it, it's difficult to do so if you can't afford, you know, the most important thing in your life, which is caring for your children. 
look, that is the problem for every mom of young children that I know that, you know, one, how can we find childcare, but also how do we go back, you know, for those who have maybe stepped out of the workforce, like how do we go back in knowing that we may have to be able to take time off again, like our kids are, are quarantining. Like that is the conversation among every mom of young kids I know. How are Completely. we going to be work predictably when we don't have leave? We don't have a leave. We yes. Have and having paid family leave again is part of this human infrastructure piece. How do we make sure that we make it easy on families so that they can have children and then they can take the time that they need. So these little beings have those hugely important first months with a with a parent. And then even as those great human beings get uh, a little bit older, but before they go to school, making sure that they are in preschool. So we don't pay for that either. So in, under the human infrastructure component of this Build Back Better agenda, all three and four-year-olds would be eligible for universal preschool, which would save, again, the average family about $13,000 a year. And you know, that is huge. So it's it's soup to nuts. It's birth to death, uh, making sure that families are relieved a bit of these burdens, which are often preventing people from either getting a job or certainly being able to do everything you need to do as a human being, pay your rent, get, you know, go to school, whatever it is. So we want to remove that, do what other countries do, help families rather than be a burden for them. Yeah, look, there was so much energy in the last couple of years. You know, women taking to the streets and marching, registering their friends, volunteering. Like, there was so much energy. And I feel like a lot of what you're talking about is what we were fighting for, right? Like, it's what we really, we, we were hoping that policies, like, would meet the road or whatever the, <laughs> the, the cliches are that I'm always confusing. But, you know, that would really happen. Meet the moment. Meet the moment. Meet the moment. Exactly. <laughs> like, help us meet the moment. But it feels like things are a little bit stuck in Washington. How do you see this playing out? Well, actually, I, first of all, um, not to be partisan, but I am part of a Democratic administration. Unfortunately, we have just bare, but we do have majorities in the House and the Senate. And there, there is agreement on many of these components. So the, the disagreement, of course, is on how much we're going to spend. And it's really less uh, because it's all paid for and it's paid for by um, making sure that corporations who have been dodging their taxes pay their fair share and by making sure that people who are very wealthy pay their fair share. As a percentage right now, the very wealthy do not pay their fair share. Certainly don't pay the percentage that you or many of your viewers or, or I pay, pay in taxes. So anybody who's earning $400,000 or less will not see one dime of tax increase. But people who are very wealthy and corporations who, ha who are very doing very well will have to pay for their fair share so that we can see these. Now, that's got support among uh, Democrats in the legislature. It's just really how much we're going to put into this package. That's the question. But everybody agrees on some basics. Like everybody, I think, would like to see the child care tax credit extended. Everybody, I think, wants to make sure that we have um, we have child care help um, in terms of being able to pay. So there's the child tax credit, which is different from being able to help families with child care. Everybody, I think, wants to help with elder care, again, for families that really need that help. So I think there are components of this. Everybody agrees about infrastructure, making sure we have roads and bridges we can all drive on without having to pay $500 a year to fix our cars. Everybody agrees that we've got to shore up our transmission grid. So there's lots of components that everybody agrees on. I think we're about 95% of the way there. 
honestly. I think that we're going to see this hopefully by the end of this month, if not the, you know, by by Thanksgiving. So cross my fingers that I didn't just lose this. <laughs> yes, I, I'm definitely hopeful. And I think if everyone agreed 100%, we'd probably be there already. So how yeah. do you think about prioritizing them? Or how do you think about getting 100% of the way there? Yeah, I mean, I think this is the question. This is a really smart question because right now the, the issue is whether of all, so the president put forward a three and a half trillion dollar agenda, which had all of these this things funded for 10 years. And so the question is, do we have fund them for five years so that everybody takes a haircut, something like that? Or do we just cut an amount off of each so that the child tax credit isn't as rich as it currently is? Not that it's super rich, but isn't as, as much as it currently is. Or do we just select some of the pieces and uh, let others uh, go for now and come back and try again later? So in other words, do we give a haircut or do we amputate? And that's really the question about uh, that is being discussed right now in Congress, like literally right now as we speak, <laughs> is which way to proceed. But that's the good news is that we know we have to proceed. And so, so hopefully we will get, something will emerge. The white smoke will emerge uh, very soon to say we have figured it out and, and we're gonna move forward. Okay, I feel like that is really good news because to be honest with you, for all the women who are marching and voting and yes, you know, pulling all their friends in, like there's so much energy. We gotta see a little something coming back, you know? Like we totally. need to see our policies totally. matching to your point to yes. the moment. So how do we get involved in this moment now that we've marched, voted, told our friends? Like how do we get involved okay, so, in this moment to make sure yeah, we pass so these things? The good news is that that marching and that voting gave Democrats a bare majority, but a majority in the House and the Senate. And again, I'm using Democrats as a substitute for the policies that you believe in, the policies that you would like to see happen. And what I say to people all the time is the most important thing you can do is make your voice heard. Vote. Put people in who agree with you. We would, you know, the arguments in D.C. right now wouldn't be as as tough as they are if we had just a couple more, just a couple more senators that agreed with us or just a couple more members of the House. So continue to you know, to be out there, continue to elect people who you could maybe you think about running for office, you know, continue to be out there and engage and know that public policy really matters. It's how you do the greatest good for the greatest number. And the only way you get policy that you want is by putting people in office, by hiring the right people. They work for you. So you can hire them. You can fire them. Let's hire a few more. I love it. So the election's coming up while you guys are still debating this. Governor's in Virginia, New Jersey, and some and a bunch of local offices, all of my local townspeople all over the country. But until then, do we call Congress? Like, does that really work? Should we do it? Yeah. So uh, because I'm I'm uh, I'm subject to something called the Hatch oh. Act, which means I can't advocate for people to call their members of Congress. If I weren't subject to the Hatch Act, I'm sure, you know, I would be. But I am. So I can't do that. OK, I'm sorry. We will not push you on that. I will. I will tell you what. I'm going to call my member of Congress. I made Senator Gillibrand pretend to pick up the phone with me last week on video. <laughs> so we are literally calling her. It was great. Oh, so good. Secretary awesome. Jennifer Granholm working on President Biden's Build Back Better agenda, Secretary of Energy. Thank you so much, Secretary. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Political Playlist. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Your Political Playlist where you can see video of my interviews. 
For more from Senator Gillibrand and Secretary Granholm, you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at SendGillibrand and SecGranholm. Thank you for tuning in to another inspiring and informative conversation with women at the seat of power and activism. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and comment to let others know. Till next time.